Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to be together, to be with you this way, to fellowship with you this way, to be here together as family, to encourage one another. For as your word says, for as long as it's called today, may we do that very thing. May we not be tripped up or deceived by sin, Father. We're so grateful for the grace and the mercy and the love that you show us day in and day out. Each day, your faithfulness is new to us. It's unerring, as is your love. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that can't be here for legitimate reasons. We pray for those that could be here, Father, even, that they be humbled. We pray also for those still in this world that are lost, without hope, that they receive saving faith before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work to make an evening like this a moment for all of us to rejoice in. What an incredible privilege this is, Father. May we never become familiar with it. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, part 50, uh, Proverbs 17, Wisdom. Let's jump right into our primary course of study. Go to Proverbs 17, 6. This will be our launching pad. Proverbs 17, verse 6. Fantastic things to be taught this evening. I'm actually really excited about this message. Uh, Proverbs 17, verse 6. Grandchildren of the crown of the aged... And the glory of children is their fathers. Um, that's just brought family, marriage, family, but mostly family, the, the construct, the divine institution of family, right to the forefront for us. And it's been wonderful because, well, for many reasons, um, but one reason in particular is that family might be maybe after marriage, might be one of the most attacked things in the world right now. It's just under constant pressure from Satan in the kingdom of darkness. And so I love when we take pause on this thing because it's exceptionally rare. <laughs> it's exceptionally rare that you actually hear any of this from, when's the last time you actually heard this from anywhere? What's being taught from this pulpit? When's the last time you heard any of this from anywhere? It's incredible. So I'm very grateful to the Holy Spirit for taking pause like this this evening and all the other times prior um, and whatever he's got in store for us on family. As we've been learning, the divine institutions of marriage and family are designed, with emphasis on the word designed, to bring glory to God. I mean, after all, he did create them, so he is inherently pleased with them. He created them, and he's, therefore he's pleased with them. 
In other words, as the Spirit's been reiterating for weeks now, God loves godly families because they're designed to bring Him glory, and that pleases Him. In fact, because His Word gives us believers very clear instructions as to the intentions of the institution of family, there comes with it a great responsibility. Comes with a great responsibility. Up here on the board. So on marriage and family, we believers are held to a higher standard. And remember, man does not set the bar. We are held to a higher standard, but FYI, according to Holy Scripture, man does not set the bar. At the head of each family, God has placed a man. God forbid I say that, right? For real. When's the last time you heard that? I'm sure that if I had the average worldly unbeliever or a twisted feminist here this evening, they'd be throwing a hissy. No doubt in my mind. They'd be throwing a hissy. As if I just blasphemed. As if I just swore in their face. As if I just punched them in the face. Because I actually spoke what's evident in the Holy Bible. Have we forgotten as a country? I mean, that's what's in the Holy Bible. <laughs> They'd be throwing a hissy. But... Here's what the Bible has to say about that little hissy. So we're going to have a little sidebar here for a moment. As we read the following two passages of Holy Scripture, I want you to stay focused on the authority of God's Word. Because it's on the authority that I just made that statement that God places at the head of each family a man. I say that on the basis of Holy Scripture, on the authority of the inspired Word of God. It's not even my Word. I can't stake a claim to it. I can't say it's my opinion even. It's not my opinion. It's God's opinion. I agree with Him. I abide in it. But He's the originator of the opinion. And He's the owner of the fact. Because He's our sovereign Creator. And He has that right. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. So I want you to pay particular attention to the authority of God's Word. The authority of God's Word. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. So this is, this is almost a retort, if you would, to that hissy fit. Right? And some of you are like, yep, I've been down that road. It wasn't even that long ago. I made a statement from the Word of God and some feminist or some jackass from the world had a problem with it. What does the Bible say? Well, let's establish the facts. 1 Thessalonians 4.1 Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. In other words, you've been instructed. It's clear. Keep on doing that thing. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, 
your sanctification. In other words, we give you these instructions so that you can be sanctified. Same thing with the divine institutions. That's part of your sanctification. It's how he works a good thing out in you. For this is the will of God for your, sanctif your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, for starters, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. And obviously that includes marriage and family, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. That includes in marriage and family. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. For example, homosexuality existed back then. Again, that would have been something that was predominant in, with the Gentiles. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Homosexuality is against the divine institution of marriage and family. Verse 6, that no one transgress the wrong his brother in this, uh, and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in what? <clears throat> holiness. Don't, I'm just going to take a sip of my tea here. Don't let that word holiness escape you. Holiness, remember, holy means to be set apart for God's purposes, God's specific purposes. And that's what he's called you for, not impurity, but in holiness. Not sexually immoral, but holy. And obviously, that has everything to do with marriage and family, because sex was designed between man and woman only in marriage. Extramarital sex is against the word of God. Sex with the same sex, the same gender, is against the word of God. One man, one woman, in marriage, that's what sex was designed for. Anything outside of that is called impure, therefore not holy. So God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. Okay? Think about the statement I just made about being holy in marriage. One man, one woman in marriage. That's it. Sex, anything outside of that construct sexually is impure, is immoral, according to the word of God. This is a little thing. You can turn down a little bit. God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Okay? Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. That is our encouragement. That's why we're reading this. The next time someone throws a hissy fit in your face, you remember 1 Thessalonians 4.8. Okay? Do not take the brunt of the offense. It's not yours to take. Let me say it again. The next time someone throws a hissy fit on you, do not take the brunt of the offense. It's not yours. And literally treat it that way. And tell them, you can do anything you want to me, but this is not your argument with me. I'm repeating what the Holy Bible has to say. What the sovereign God of the universe has to say. Up here on the board. Disregards not man, but God. If you stand up for the truth, expect to be persecuted.
a la John 15:20, if they persecute, this is Jesus speaking, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. You see, do not take it personally. Your persecutors have a problem with God, not you, strictly speaking. They have a problem with you too because you agree with God, but you get the point. You don't have to take the load. You can, you can put it right on God. Say, no, this is, this is God's opinion on the matter. You don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with God. The person who has a problem with Holy Scripture does not have a problem with you. Keep repeating that to yourself because it's freeing. Because what do they always want to do? They always want to make it about you. What do you think about homosexuality, huh? What do you think? Oh, my God. I think what God thinks about it. How about that? If you have a problem with that, take it up with God. End of story. See you later. They don't have a problem with you. And don't let them make it about you. Because that's what Satan wants to do. Try to pull you in. Try to suck you into the drama into their dysfunction. Don't let it happen. It's that simple. Cast it on him. That's what he's there for. Satan, I was thinking about that, you know, how you get sucked in. Satan loves to use peer pressure uh, to try to, you know, sow doubt in us even. How dare you? You're just unloving. And they like to pervert scripture and say, aren't you a Christian? And I thought Jesus loved everyone in this whole thing. And they use peer pressure, but we mustn't be swayed by such things. We mustn't be swayed by such things. So please read this week's blog, which elaborates on this a bit more up here on the board. It's called The Parade of Fools. Make sure you read it. Parade of Fools, January 15, 2021. Again, verse 7, for God has not called us for impurity, but holiness. If you represent holiness, you will be persecuted. If you share what holiness is with the rest of the world, you definitely will be persecuted. But here's your encouragement, verse 8. Therefore, whoever disregards this says, Oh, no, 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 I can have sex with whoever, whoever I want. I can do this. I can have sex with, you know, same sex. I can have sex outside. I can do whatever I want. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Again, up here on the board, disregards not man, but God. If you stand up for the truth, expect to be persecuted. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep, kept my word, they will uh, also keep yours. Do not take it personally. That's the encouragement coming from this pulpit right now. Do not take it personally. Just because you stand up for all that the Spirit's taught you on this series, on uh, family and marriage, just because you stand up in holiness the right way and defend the word of truth um, doesn't mean that you ha they have the right to attack you for it um, and you have the, uh, the right even to take it personally. It's not even yours to take. They're offended with God. Their beef is with someone else. It's not even with you. That's the point the Spirit's making. Do not take it personally. Your persecutors have a problem with God, not you, strictly speaking. Now, I have found personally this wisdom quite useful. Whenever I've had to deliver a 
you know, one of those difficult messages. And God knows how many have had to deliver for what last, I don't know, whatever it's been, 12 years now, I don't know, somewhere around there. A lot of them. Amen? Right? <laughs> this is very helpful. Whenever I've had to deliver a, a difficult message um, or, you know, have a, even a difficult, a tough conversation with someone in the church, I'm often, you know, very often met with backlash. And it is personal. Not to me. Not to me. I'm just a, you know, conveyor of truth, so to speak. You know, I, I share my discerning heart. It's not, a, it's not personal for me, but very often the other person, the offender, makes it personal, makes it about me, because they don't want to go up against God. Because that's a losing battle, right? They can try to wrangle with me. Um, but nonetheless, I very often have met or am met with backlash personally. And the kicker is that all I'm really trying to do is get someone to orient to God's will for their lives and be set free by it. It's the same thing I'm doing when I'm teaching a tough lesson. Trust me. Is it fair to say no one in here, maybe, probably not even Scott, he don't have to give these crazy challenging messages like I do. Does anybody really want to be up here giving some of those messages? No, for real. Todd's laughing because he definitely don't want to be up here. It's no fun. Honest to goodness, it's not fun to be up here knowing that half your congregation is seething. And they're venomous. And, and sometimes that venom overflows to the person. You follow? To the person. It's wrong, but it happens. Especially when all it is, I mean, any of that is just an expression of love. That's all it is. It's actually an expression of love to step into the rat's nest for the sake of the rat. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's, that's what love looks like. It says, this is probably going to hurt. I'm going to reach into the rat's nest to try to help the rat out, and it bites me. Up here on the board, 2 Corinthians 12, 15. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? That's a rhetorical question. I just had an encouraging uh, conversation. I had to encourage uh, Monica back there this past week as she embarks on her new journey with By As Well Ministries. People are already acting like, well, people with fleshes. And she just got started. So my encouragement to her is precisely what I'm teaching you all right now. It's that whenever you stand up for Christ in this world, for grace and truth, you will be persecuted. It's not if, it's just when. You will be. This ministry, it might be the quickest way to be attacked. Put a little sign up. Hey, you know, I have a new ministry. <laughs> Right? If you stand up for Christ, you know, no, if you lie, people are like, whoa, whoa, let me, how do I support you? Right? You tell the truth, attack. You will be persecuted. 
as I taught more specifically on Sunday, it's often from those closest to you. Let me repeat that. And this is a hard lesson learned, especially in the ministry. The people closest to you are the ones who wound you the most. Just ask King David when you see him in heaven. Don't just take my word for it. Up here on the board, Galatians 4.16. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Geez, all I'm trying to do is tell you the truth. Why are you taking issue with me? God says that that's wrong. God says that's right. What's the problem? Why are you taking it out on me? I thought we were friends. Obviously, Paul made a rhetorical statement here as well. The answer is yes. In fact, if you stand up for the truth, you actually are the enemy to the human flesh. And so there you go. Tell the truth. You are definitely someone's enemy. Someone functioning in the human flesh has now become your enemy. And they might be very close to you. Very close to you. You see, the problem is, is integrity to the truth? This thing, this book right here, might as well have a mirror on it. Right? And you just go like this. Hey! And they go, how dare you show me that truth? This is, and I, you just say, but you're just looking at yourself. You see? They don't want it. You hold up the truth, it's convicting. What do you expect? Honestly, what do you expect out of the human flesh? Do you... At this juncture of your lives, do you have any expectations of the human flesh? <laughs> Let's look at one more passage of encouragement. Go to 2 Peter 1.19. Again, this should be all encouraging. The Holy Spirit's just saying, don't take it on yourself. It's not, your, it's not even your battle. Someone that's disoriented to the truth, that's between them and God. You're not the great physician. You're not going to try to, you're not going to fix them. If God the Holy Spirit can't do it, you certainly is heck aren't gonna. Right? 2 Peter 1.19 And, 2 Peter 1.19, And we have the prophetic word. In other words, Bible doctrine. We have the word of God. The doctrine from the word. The truth, the knowledge, the wisdom. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Okay? No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. We, do not, we are not existentialists. I think I wrote that word. I know it's a big word. Uh, in other words, we don't, we don't figure God out through personal experience. We go to the Word of God to figure it out. We get our direction from the inspired Word of God, right? No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, 
That should sound familiar. That's precisely what the Spirit is alluding to when he says, man is neither the author of marriage and family, nor does he set the bar for them. We're not the author of truth, in other words. Prophecy means teaching, right? Prophetic means a prophet is a teacher as well. We're not the author of these institutions. So we don't have the right to try to set the bar here, here, here. God sets the bar. And that's the end of the story. If he says it's only between a husband and a wife, one man, one woman, then that's it. That is it. If he says there's no such thing as two mamas and two papas, and no, no, you know, none of the others in the same household, then that's it. If you get persecuted for that, it's not your fault. It's not even on you. They don't have a problem with you. They have a problem with their own creator, which is why they're miserable. Let's just face it. Imagine if I, <laughs> imagine if I was like on the White House lawn right now teaching this. Right? There'd probably be another gang coming over. Do you right? You know what I'm saying? I, I, anyways, I mean, I have no loss of love for any of these people, just as a disclaimer. There's no, there's no love loss. I don't, I'm not judging them that way and nothing. I'm just saying it's wrong. And they have a problem with God. Doesn't mean I love anybody less. 2 Peter 1.20 Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Do you see it? We don't make up Holy Scripture. We give that to God. We give the, the Word up to Him. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is also why we can never take it personally. We didn't, man's not even, see, that's one of my favorite arguments, right? People say, oh, you hold up the Bible. It was written by a bunch of men. Yeah, they penned it, but the author was God. But it's a lot easier for their argument to say, oh, a bunch of men wrote it. Right? And that's it. They, that's how they dismiss it. But it says right here in the Word of God, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. All scriptures God breathed. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We're not responsible for that. We're not even the authors of it. Men were instruments used to write it and copy it over the centuries, right? Etc. But we're not the authors of truth. It's the word of God. It's his word. It's God's word. That's why we can never take it personally. Again, verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit but false prophets, in other words, false teachers teaching false doctrines, also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. It's not a novel concept to have somebody say, I'm speaking on behalf of God when I say, God loves everybody so much that he says, 
I'm just going to get rid of all the, you know, remember what I used to say about marriage and family? Remember what I used to say about that? Throw it out. I just love everybody so much. <laughs> right? I just love everybody so much. We're just going to throw it all out. How do you know that? Because I know God. And God is love. Right? It says it right in the Bible. Mm, here we go. Right? Just throw it out. There are, there are churches, massive churches, that teach that as if it's true. That God has no wrath anymore against people who blatantly break His commandments. Starting with marriage and family. Like God can be mocked. You follow? False prophets also arose among the people, verse 22-1, uh, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, I just described one of them, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth, or the way of truth, will be blasphemed. That's what we live in right now. I'm thinking about America, right? The way of truth is blasphemed. We're the bad people. We're the morons now. We're the vast minority as we cling to the word of truth. We're the haters, right? We're the intolerant hate speech mongers because we say things like, God's against homosexuality. You're a hater. No, I'm not. I just said in the same kind. If you keep listening, I say, listen, I show my love to you. I'm willing to give you my God. I'm willing to stick my hand in the rat's den, even though I know you're going to bite me, to try to give you the gospel. That's what love looks like. If I was an intolerant jerk like you're talking about, I would just say, bugger off. If I was English. <laughs> right? I would say something like that. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Now, I ask you, where is this more prevalent right now than in the areas of marriage and family? I don't know, you'd be hard-pressed, wouldn't you? You'd be hard-pressed, right, to find an area where this is more you know, 2 Peter 2.2 2 is, is more appropriate than marriage and family. Just look at what Hollywood promotes regarding these institutions. It's disgusting and it's blasphemous. And sadly, if you want to make a career in this world, it's becoming harder and harder to do so unless you join the fray. In other words, what we're seeing is the precursor to the end times. Oh, here we go. Everybody's like, oh, did you say end times? Oh, I love the end times. <laughs> Listen to your program at 1 o'clock this morning on that weird channel, that weird cable channel. Don't bring that garbage to me. Okay? Don't come here with your weird conspiracies and your predictions about, you know, the rapture and all this stuff. Because even Jesus said he didn't know. But with that said, we might say it definitely is going to happen, the end times. 
Just saying. And when you see this difficulty, this resistance to be able to even work, right, where the job market shrinks for the Jesus freak. Do you follow? When the job market starts shrinking, that's a precursor to the end times when people won't be able to buy and sell in the world economy unless they take the number of the beast, etc., etc. Talk about constricted. The kingdom of darkness is doing everything it can to, to strangle us, you see. Look at 2 Peter 2.3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So with all of this going on, with the writing on the wall, as the world continues to accelerate away from godliness, we have the opportunity. We have the God-given right to be encouraged. Isn't that beautiful? The world is racing away from Christ. We're getting persecuted more and more. Like I just said, one of the other artifacts of all this is that it's harder and harder. You know, the, the job market is a little bit, get, becomes more and more constricted. They may never say it, but, you know. We have the right, with all that going on, we have the right to be encouraged. The God-given right. God says, let them. Let them try their little exercises on you. Let them try what they can. <laughs> I'm in control here. Let them do what they think they need to do to try to make your life a little less happy or peaceful. They got nothing on you. You have the God-given right, says God, to be encouraged. Their day is coming, and you don't have to be vindictive. Yeah, no. <laughs> right. That's, that's not godly, right? So, John, I don't know what's going on in your soul. You laughed really hard right there. We need to put that away. <laughs> I'm just kidding. God is never mocked. God is never mocked. Second Peter 2.4. This is a start of a long sentence, okay? One complete thought. This is the start of a very long sentence. Okay, and we're going to read it. So kind of take like a deep breath mentally. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Keep going. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Keep going. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Keep going. And if, he's, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous uh, soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Keep going. Then the Lord knows. If all of that, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. If he can do all of that, what's he saying? Don't you worry about it. 
I've got it all in control. I will deliver you. You let them do what they think they need to do. Let them persecute you. Let them fire you from a job even. Let them make fun of you because you have a, a, a godly family and a godly marriage. Let them throw stones at you for saying, if someone asks, homosexuality is wrong according to the Bible. Let them do all of that stuff. God's got it all under control. And you know what? Look at verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. You don't turn to yourself even. You don't turn to your own human rationalism. You don't drop the hockey gloves. You don't take, upon the, you don't take that burden upon yourself. The burden of proof even. Here's your proof. This is it. If they don't believe this, pound salt. Wipe the dust off your feet. Walk away. Let the Spirit win them over. If he can't do it, you certainly cannot. So don't fight a battle that's not yours to fight. That's the point. And be encouraged by that. God says, okay, listen, you got a choice. You ready? There's going to be a battle right in front of you. You have two choices. You can go into it, or you can let me fight it. I think I'm going to let you fight it. Good answer. You don't even have to get battered and bruised. You let him answer it, or you let him fight it. You understand? Don't take it personal. Don't get, don't get in, into that with, with morons, with people that are completely ignorant, that have no spiritual apparatus whatsoever to even understand the Word of God. You hand that over to God. Let them play their games. Let them persecute you. Whatever. I'm going to go with verse 9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Sounds like a promise to me. Amen? There you go and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Up here on the board, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Always remember this. When circumstances seem dire, remember God's promises to you personally. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13.5 Remember that. He's not going anywhere. Always remember that. He's your rescuer. Verse 10. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Here we go. Right? For example, marriage and family are rooted in authority orientation to God because God gives his authority to the man over the wife, over the family. That's the authority structure in a marriage, in a family. But these people apparently despise that authority, dismiss God's right, sovereign right to ordain and to delegate that authority in the institutions that he's designed for the benefit of his creatures nonetheless. Again, verse 10, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, those of the world, in view like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, 
blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. In other words, God is not mocked. Summary. God is not mocked. You hand it over to God. Be encouraged. You have the God-given right to be encouraged. You will be persecuted for standing up for the truth about marriage and family. You will be persecuted. God is not mocked. You hand it over to God. You take the whipping, I guess, and you walk away. All right, getting back to our primary course of study now. Um, remember that that little sidebar, I mean, it took, I shouldn't say it took almost about 40 minutes, was for the sake of encouragement. On the topic of family, because that's what we're learning here. We're learning God's viewpoint on marriage and family. And what the Spirit's saying is take all that garbage you've had instilled in you through that sewer pipe, that big flat thing that sits in your living room or the radio channel or, whatever, or the internet or the smartphone. Take all of that and throw it out in the garbage. Throw all of that garbage away. I'm not talking about your actual physical stuff. God forbid you get rid of that big sewer pipe, right? I'm talking about the ideas that come flying out at you. And you're something like, I only watch the news. Is there any such thing? No, I'm, I'm being serious. Anymore? Is there any such thing? What happened to, like, Walter Cronkite? What? There's no more news. Oh, it's just sensationalism. Anyways, so don't even, you can't even say that because you're watching probably someone like Bill O'Reilly or some moron that's just making millions of dollars by being a sensationalist and spinning you up. Anyways, we got to get back to our primary course of study. We just took that little sidebar for the sake of encouragement. If you stand up for God's viewpoint on marriage and family, you will be persecuted. That is the point. So do not be tempted to lower the bar. At the outset, look up here on the board, our instigating principle. We believers are held to a higher standard. Remember, man does not set the bar. Do not lower the bar just because you're getting peer pressure, just because you're getting persecuted. Do not lower that bar. It's not yours to lower. You say what's in the Word of God. The Word of God says this, X, Y, and Z. End of story. You have a problem with it. You have a problem with Him. Go take it to Him. Here, you can, I'll tell you what, you can have my Bible. Take it home. Read it. If you're that interested in arguing about this, you read the Bible then. Because I'm just going to try to, I'm going to do the best I can to recite what's in here to you. So it's probably more efficient if you just took it and read it. Just saying. Because this conversation is going nowhere. Right? Point is, we don't get to set the bar. What God says goes. And do not apologize for it. And do not accommodate the human flesh by compromising what the Word of God clearly states. End of story. On a more practical note, we have the application principle from last time up here on the board. The responsibility of the man, so the spirit turned directly in on men, since men are the head of the household, head of the marriage, head of the household, head of the marriage, head of the family. A weak, arrogant husband or father will make excuses for himself. 
but a strong, humble man will excuse me, always accept God's wisdom, love, and discipline, and then apply it to his own life. And he says, you know what he says? You ready? Thank you. Just like the Bible says. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what pleases God. Mm -hmm. You see how it all kind of comes together? It all works together. It's beautiful. But man says, I delegated, or God says, I delegate man at the top of these institutions. And not top in an arrogant way. I hope you understand what I'm saying. They're the ones in authority. A weak man just makes excuses. You know, uh, does what you call, like a magician would call, a misdirection. You know, makes excuses why they can't, I don't know, talk about God with their family. You know, drive their, ch- their family to church when they should. Teach their family about Holy Scripture because they don't know it, maybe. Maybe they don't read it themselves. Those are all excuses. Oh, but I work. Do you, though? Do you, though? Let's have a little sit-down. Let's talk about how much you work, right? Let's talk about how much you supposedly work and why that's an excuse as to why you can't, what, be a real man for your wife, be a real man for your children. This is, this, this is what you're coming up with, this garbage. Mm. But a strong, humble man will always accept God's wisdom, love, and discipline and apply it to his own life. At the head of every marriage and family is a man, not a woman. Thank God there's not feminists in here, right? They'd probably be charging the pulpit. Here's a little disclaimer, though, because life's never that perfect, is it? Remember, we're talking about God's divine design for marriage and family. This is the, the high bar, the high watermark. This is what truly holy looks like. A little disclaimer. In the absence of a man, women often have to, let's call it, quote, fill the shoes. And, you know, I'm pretty sure we've all seen this and maybe even lived it. Um, so, you know, a tip, tip of the hat to all you wives and mothers out there who are left with no the choice but to gird up your own loins to provide for and even protect your families because the guy was gone. And shame on those men who abandoned their post. Just a little sidebar. On Sunday, we got a lot of insight into marriage and family by reading an encouraging passage of Scripture in the book of Ephesians. So we're not going to finish it again, I don't think. Keeping our eyes on the big picture. As we review this passage again, let's see how Paul uses the very construct of family. In other words, he has a lot to say. Ephesians, you want to be encouraged, you know, if you're having a bad day or bad week, read Ephesians. It's beautiful. It's this magnificent, encouraging book. And it's not that long. It's just magnificent. Um, and he has so much to say. But it's, it's, what's very interesting is he, used, he uses the, the, the implied truth of marriage and family. Almost like, you know, like the brick and mortar. Like, he, like, you know, marriage and family is there on the ground and he stands up on it. You know, to speak above the crowd. 
but he's doing so from a platform of implied um, orientation to marriage and family. Does that make sense? Like, and if you read what we're about to read, you can see the implications. He's speaking matter of fact. Like, hey, we all know about what God says about marriage and family. On those basic premises, let me teach you some more. So keep that in mind as he uses the very construct of family as the foundation of several other doctrinal conclusions. And it's beautiful. It just shows how perfect God's Word is, right? How consistent uh, and harmonious the Word of God actually is. Go to Ephesians 5.1. Ephesians 5.1. Such a beautiful passage. You know, obviously I, I said this on Sunday, right out of the gate, the word children shows up. Right? So you already have the notion of family. Because children implies parents. Ephesians 5.1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So he's already using the family construct and walk in love. Think about all the Spirit said about the, the reason for marriage, the, the breeding ground, the, the learning spot, the, the first place we might see God's love in action. Think about that. It's in the family. It's meant to be there. Sadly, some don't see it there, but that's where it's designed to be seen first, is in the family construct. So he says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But here's how you can ruin it. He says, but, verse 3, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. I don't know why I keep coming back to this. I think I took it out of my notes, but he's bringing it up again. All I can think about is that, you know that intimate setting of a family at the, di the dining room table? Right? And that's your, you're breaking bread together. You just hopefully said a prayer of gratitude to God. Thank you, Lord, for this bounty set before us. Thank you for giving us this food. Thank you for edifying our bodies, edifying our souls. Hey, let me tell you a joke. A man walks into a bar. Right? It's like, oh, wait a minute. What just happened? Like, we went from being grateful to God to filthy talk? To, to crude joking? Like, that, that's, that, that, it's so out of place. It's so out of place. I mean, think about it. If, if you were, you know, if you were sitting at the dining room table and Jesus was there, would you say, all right, so a, a guy in front of walk into a bar? Why not? And why is that any different? And why should it be any different? It shouldn't. That's the whole point. So that, that scene, you know, of breaking bread, 
together, of fellowshipping at the, the dining room table and being filled with thanksgiving. That's all in verse 4, by the way. Being filled with thanksgiving. To inject something dirty or filthy into that scene, is it not gross? Um, that little scene is yet another microcosm of your family. None of that, not only should it not be at the dining room table, it shouldn't even be within the walls of your home. That's the point. Throw all that stuff out. You'll be the better for it. You'll be like, oh man, but some of those jokes are so funny. Nobody wants to laugh except Scott, right? But you know how it is. Oh, but that's such a funny joke. I had to tell it. I know it's bad. Excuse me, Lord, why I tell this joke. Right after I gave thanks for this food. You, you, you get the scene, right? Doesn't it, in, in the context of tonight, doesn't that just seem, ooh, you're like, ooh. Like scratching record, like, ooh, what the? We, we come together as family, and, you know, thank, thankfulness to God, and then we... We enjoy, ooh, right? It's like this. It's like, oh my goodness. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. Verse 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. I think this is probably where I'm going to have to end. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Yeah, I think I'll end here. Up here on the board, this came out really heavy on Sunday. Um, Men, protect your family. If you have that God-given responsibility as the head of the family, then it's your job to protect the family. You have been given authority over that family. It comes with responsibility. To whom much is given, much is required. So protect your family. Do your job. Like literally, do your job. All right? Maybe you're uh, at that you're at the dining room table again. You just gave Thanksgiving for the food and the bounty, right? And your 15-year-old kid says, "Ah, oh, I got a joke to tell, and you say, no. You're not telling it at this table. That's not happening in my house. That's grotesque. Throw it out. Don't bring it to this table. Do you follow what I'm getting at? That's our responsibility. I can't even tell you how many times I've failed at that. I can't even tell you how many times I'm the one telling the joke. That is disgusting. So don't think I'm talking down to anybody. This is how we fail God. This is how we fail our families. It's real. We don't just get to make excuses. Well, if the pastor does it, then I can do it. No. That's just me being honest. Trying to help you along a little bit, gents. Right? Trying to help you be honest with yourself. That's not protecting your family. That's, that's an atrocity. And it's shameful. And I am ashamed of it. And you, you should be ashamed of it, men. 
Because every other man in here has done it. Protect your family. It's hard enough doing it, you know, controlling your own mouth. How about this? Do not allow people from outside of your family to infiltrate it. How about that? Be vigilant, on guard, ready to ward off the wolves in sheep's clothing. And remember, I'll leave you with this, attacks come often come from where you least expect it. From where you least expect it. Psalm 55, 12 to 14, that's what we noted with David. One more slide up here on the board. Psalm 55, 13 to 14. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house we walked in the throng. And you're the one who stabbed me in the back? You're the one who infiltrated my family? You're the one who's been persecuting me behind my back? You snake. Never be surprised. And be very, very, very careful. That's why men, we have to be extra vigilant, diligent as to who we even let in physically through the front door. Who we let in the front door even physically. Never mind all the emotional side of things. We have to be very, very careful. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us the truth because we know that it's the truth that sets us free ultimately, Father, and for that we're ever grateful. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned here this evening back to the privacy of our own souls, our families, our marriages, Father. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.